Okay, why don't you stand with me, and let's read Genesis 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning, one day. Move to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Start with me in verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Let's pray. Father, right now it might be confusing to our church as to why we're reading those two passages in terms of prayer. But I pray as we, as we go through this together that this becomes more and more evident and that they understand the connections between what we just read and what's in your word and how this works in prayer and evangelism for that matter too. Father, as we uh, enter into this time, we just ask you for your guidance and trust you that uh, with your Spirit's work in our lives that we will understand this and that you will uh, lead us into truth, uh, encourage us and strengthen us to, in our resolves to walk with you even more closely and to trust you. Trust is a big issue for all of us, right? We all, we all go through battles where we there are days when we are fully in, and there's days when we have no clue what we're sometimes what we think we're believing and who you are. But that's a constant issue, trust. But you always call call us to yourself to do so, and that you're faithful. Again, show, show us in your word today how you're faithful to us and how you want to partner with us in ministry. So we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Flip back to Genesis 1. You'll need it later on in the, in the sermon. So before we be begin today's passage, um, I want to remind you of something I had mentioned to you last week regarding the direction of our sermons together between now and the new year. And that is, I announced last week that between now and Christmas, we're going to be doing a short series on prayer and evangelism. 
Now, the reason we're heading in that direction is largely in part to your involvement with me in terms of conversation and, and uh, sort of text messaging and all sorts of stuff and sort of different dialogues. In my interaction with you, I've, I've learned that it's apparent that these areas of prayer and evangelism, evangelism are areas that are of interest to you and you've requested more biblical understanding and teaching in these areas. And so, as your pastor and shepherd, I'm always happy to do that. I, I love meeting you where you're at. Uh, to, to preach on areas that are important to you and things that you care about and areas that you're wrestling and struggling in. I'm always happy to uh, oblige in that way. But regardless of where you're at, whether you've uh, been a Christian for a few weeks or a few months or, you know, decades, um, my prayer for you for the next six weeks is that in our time together, you learn something new. That you understand why you should be, um, well, sorry, why, like, what is the purpose of behind pr prayer and evangelism and why does God want you to be involved in these things with him? And again, it's again not just so you gain head knowledge, but that it impacts your life and transforms you in a way that you'll redirect the course of your life. That whatever path you're on now in terms of a, a percentage of understanding or commitment, that I move you through the word of God to a different level in your pursuit of these two areas of your life. And so I hope that we grow and learn together and we seek to put these things into practice and uh, especially coming in the new year uh, as that's coming around the corner. But I want, to give, I want this to give you a sense of urgency to get your hands and feet dirty in doing God's kingdom work. So let's begin. Why pray? What's the point? Well, we're going to start off with two lessons in this whole area. Two things I want to share with you today. And the first one is why pray? Number one, God wants to partner with us in fulfilling his kingdom work. He wants to partner with you in kingdom work. This concept of partnership, or this partnership paradigm, is seen right from the beginning of the Bible in the opening chapters of Genesis. In chapter one, we see God out of nothing, ex nihilo in the Hebrew, in six days, speaking everything into the world's existence. We see light on day one, the sky and atmosphere day two, land and vegetation day three, the sun, moon and stars on day four, every sea and air going creature on day uh, five, every land going animal on day six, and finally, at the pinnacle of creation, man and woman. And when Genesis, he, he does something amazing here. There's so many observations we could make from this text, spend hours in here, but we're just going to make a couple. He takes everything that's from chaos and moves it into order, or takes things from disorder and puts them into order. And one of the key phrases in here is that he organizes according to likenesses. Ten times in, this, in these first, first 26 verses, he talks about according to their likeness, according to their kind. If you were to use modern day language, it would be genus. You know, genus and species and things like that. Genus, they're kinds. He organizes according to kinds. Now, what's important for us, the most, the, keyest, the most important observation in here for me is this, and for us, is that he did all of this apart from man. Men had nothing to do with this. You and I had nothing to do with the first six days. Adam and Eve had nothing to do with the six days. He accomplished this all on his own. But here's where things begin to change. Right in the opening two chapters, God commands Adam to take on an active role in creation. 
He calls them to take an active role in creation. Look at verse 28 with me. God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over the, all the earth, and over creeping things that creeps on the earth. So right here, he wants them to have dominion. Dominion, to rule over the earth, to subdue it. This is important. Um, what we see in two, chapter 2, a couple different things that occurs there in terms of how he rules. Number 1, in 2 verse 19, God brings animals to Adam and says, you name them. So in the creation of the world, God didn't say, that's a rabbit, that's a fox. He said, Adam, you participate in bringing creation to its fullness by giving them names. In 2.23, when, when we don't know her name yet, but it's Eve, but in that moment, Eve is created, and Adam stares at this new creation and says, you should be called woman, for you're taken out of man. Adam named the female. He gave her, we call it, you know, we say you're a woman, you know, you know, you're a she. That is, God created the gender, but Adam gave the name woman to her. In chapter 2, verse 15, He's placed in the garden to cultivate it and to tend to it. He's to produce orchards and vineyards as he saw fit. Interestingly enough, the first humans, according to uh, textbooks, are hunters and, and gatherers. According to the Bible, they're farmers. <laughs> they're also, though, to participate in bringing life into the world. Look at verse 28 again. Um, I've got to find it, actually. Yeah, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. He brought Adam out of the dust and made one man and took Eve from the rib and made another person. But he said, I'm done there in terms of creating. You now take ownership and you produce life. You start to take what I've given you and I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Here's what's really important about this. Adam was to take what God created and be creative. You hear, see that? Adam was to take what God created and be creative. He was to rule over the very dust of the ground that he came from. God was saying this, I want you to partner with me in bringing creation to its fullest intent. Partner with me in bringing creation to its fullest intent. This is a joint operation. It's not just me without you, and it's not you without me. It's a joint operation to bring the fullness of what I've intended for this world and my kingdom's purposes with, with uh, creation. Adam's role was to help God in both sustaining and furthering what God had already started. You catch that? He was to help sustain and further what God had started. This is a partnership. This theme of partnership and this paradigm is all throughout the scripture. There are hundreds of examples, church, but I'm going to give you just a handful. In Genesis chapter 12, God appears to Abraham and he makes him a bunch of promises. And I just want to focus on one. He says, I want to make a nation out of you. Here's a question. God just created the entire planet and the universe on his own 
created a man from out of the dust and a woman from the side of his, his rib, why does he need Abraham to even be bothered in creating the nation of Israel? Why doesn't he just out of the ground, two million Jews arise and bang, there they are, they're God's people. He wants to partner with people. He says to Abraham, I want to use you, your works and all, and all your flaws to do my kingdom's work. Let's establish a nation together. In the book of Exodus, <laughs> he comes to Moses and says, Moses, I need you to lead my people out of slavery. Why? He doesn't need Moses. He can free them all on his own. He wants to partner. How about in Joshua 6, when the Israelites are come to Jericho? God could have just, with a, with a hailstorm or a, or a lightning bolt or opening up the ground, just completely defeated the city of Jericho in a, bl a blink of an eye. If he can call the sun into creation, he can definitely wipe out a city with the spoken word. What does he do? He says, I want you, Israel, to walk around the city for six days. Six days, carry the Ark of the Covenant with me before you. And on the seventh, I want you to walk around the city again seven times. And on the seventh trip, shout, and the city will be yours. He's partnering in defeating a nation, a city, a king. We see this in the Gospels. Jesus sends out the twelve and the seventy to do what? To heal the sick, to cast out the demons, to preach the gospel. At the end of the ministry, he comes in his resurrection and says, uh, I'm going to give you the Great Commission. I want you to go to all the nations, teach them to obey all I command, and baptize them and make disciples. But my favorite story, I don't know why I like this one so much. <laughs> it just, it's just like mind-boggling to me how this all plays together. But it's Philip in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. So this eunuch comes to Jerusalem to, to be part of a feast. Philip doesn't know that. But the guy after the week-long feast heads back to Ethiopia and he happens to be on a particular desert road heading south. God comes to Philip and says, uh, by the way, Philip, um, there's a guy that came to a feast. He's on his way back to Africa and I'd like you to go uh, talk to this guy. I'll tell you exactly where he is and, what he, and everything. And sure enough, Philip shows up, finds him exactly as God destined, and he preaches the gospel to the eunuch, and he comes to know the risen Lord, and he gets baptized, and the gospel goes to Africa. That's how the gospel got to Africa. Was the Ethiopian eunuch was the first that we know of recorded, the first witness of Jesus Christ. Why did God use the eunuch? He didn't need the eunuch. He, he could have just gone to the eunuch and appeared in a dream or a vision and said, here I am, here's what you're looking for while you're at the temple this uh, last week. He says, you, Philip, I want to use you. I want to partner with you in doing my kingdom work. You see the partnership paradigm from Genesis 1 all the way through the, right to the very end of Revelation. So why pray? Why pray? God wants us to pray as a means of partnering with them in order to do kingdom work. Let me give you just three examples of how your prayer life and my prayer life can impact the kingdom for God 
Just like Adam, he had to do certain things to bring the creation to its fullest intent, its fullest uh, uh, level of completion. We are to pray for the exact same things and to fulfill the same purposes. Check this out. We are to pray for more workers in the kingdom. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask him to do that. Here's a question. Now this theologically will upset a lot of my brothers and sisters. But it has to be said. What if you don't ask? What if you don't ask? Will it change things? Absolutely. According to this, it will. What's the point of asking if God's already got it established? The way you pray can influence and have an effect, a force on the Lord to, be, to send out more workers, to work on the hearts of men and women, to become more active and to, to capture them so that they start changing their focus about what's important in life and to start to try to reach the lost. This is tremendous. How about evangelistic opportunities? Prayer and evangelism go hand in hand. How about evangelistic opportunities? Listen to this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open up a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. What if I don't pray for an open door? Can I still come? Sure. But isn't the text reading that the way you pray, that God can supernaturally get involved beyond if you didn't? Again, my, some of my theological, my brothers and sisters in Christ don't like this theologically, but this is clear in the text. We have a partnership to play in how we do things with the Lord. Give you one more. This is, my, this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. This is, this is incredible. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that the Christ may dwell with you in your hearts through faith. Now here's the context of Ephesians. They hear what's happening to Paul and they love Paul and they're stressed out. They're, they're emotionally downtrodden and beaten up because of what's going on in, uh, to him and what's happening to him. And they're just, and they probably have sleepless nights over where, what's happening to Paul and where he's at. Because they love him. He says this, I'm getting on my knees every night, knowing that emotionally you're struggling. So he's doing this. I'm emotionally know Don, you're hurting. I know Stephanie, you're hurting. I know Daniel, you're hurting. Whatever, I know you're hurting. I'm praying right now that God's Spirit will come and speak to your spirit to strengthen you so that you have resolve and you trust in Him more and you will get out of that funk. Your prayer invokes the Spirit of God to get involved in someone else's life to strengthen them. That person has no idea you did that. None. They have none. If I pray for Don on my knees and he comes to me and says, man, I had a great week but the Lord brought some like, peace to me, I'm like, man, Lord, you actually answered my prayer because your spirit spoke to his spirit and you gave him a word of encouragement. <laughs> Here's the question. What if we don't do that for one another? <laughs> what if we don't do that?
God wants to partner with us in fulfilling his kingdom work. Why do I say all this? I want to change your view in theology about prayer and God and evangelism. See, often, including myself, I'll be admit, we have a low view of prayer, a low view of it. And there's different reasons for it, but let me just share a couple from my experience. One, this could be your attitude. Well, God's distant. I'm a little peon. I'm not really that important in the kingdom. I mean, I look at you know, some of the people in our church and what they're doing and what they're doing, and I look at my life and I'm just like insignificant. I'm not pastoring a church. I'm not uh, you know, leading a small group, whatever. I'm not really that important, so does it really matter what I have to say or if I talk to the Lord? I mean, what could I really contribute anyway? That's one possibility. Another one, I believe God is relationally close to me, and I, and I believe that uh, He does care about me, but He's so sovereign. He's sovereign. And as a sovereign God, that overrides everything. He's already decided what he's going to do. He already knows when it's going to happen. So what's the point of prayer anyway? It's just merely a discipline. These are the two extremes of the spectrum. And, this is, and some of us fall in the middle. But when you understand the partnership paradigm in light of the entire scripture, we see this is not the case. Both are not right. Both are not healthy. So that's how... That's, that's to change your view in terms of prayer, in terms of how you might view God. But number two, change how you view salvation. Change how you view salvation. Again, I'm guilty of these things too. And I, it's good. I, I'm the first person to learn from the scripture when I, when I prepare before you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't come here with a screen uh, track record and then stand up and tell you to have the same track record. God has to work in my life first. But here's the thing about salvation. What's the Western view of salvation? It's a courtroom analogy, isn't it? It's a courtroom. God's a judge. You're a sinner. He's come to judge you for your sin, and here's the penalty, and so on and so forth. Now you've been forgiven, so be grateful for that and move on. <laughs> So what God did is he came to satisfy the need for, for uh, the penalty of sin to be put, placed upon you and to satisfy the need for judgment. That's it. That's true. That is true. That is, that is largely the gospel. But to stop there is to fail to miss one significant piece of the gospel. You see, he saved us for a much, much bigger purpose. A much, much bigger purpose. God saves us not only to free us from the penalty of sin, but to reinstate us as partners to work alongside Him in His kingdom purposes. He saves you to reinstate you, not just to free you from sin. It's a relationship, church. It's not a courtroom scene. The judge doesn't just pardon you and then left, they want you to be off on the, in the streets like living life on your own now. The judge saves you and wants to have you in his house. He wants to have you over for dinner. He wants to be your best friend and communicate with you. He wants to reinstate us to do his kingdom work.
My hopes by understanding these things is that it excites you and sees your necessity for prayer and to be involved eventually as we keep continuing in evangelism. God could do everything on His own, just like He could have create. He could have done creation on His own. Uh, he could have populated the, the nation of Israel on His own. He could have defeated Jericho on His own. He could have def- gone to Philip on His own. He didn't. He could appear to every human being in this world and, and give a vision, dream, or audible voice to bring them to the cross. He doesn't. He could strengthen all of you in your inner spirit on his own. He doesn't. He says, you pray for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, I hope this raises your view of prayer. It's not low, it's high now. And you're excited about partnering with the Lord in his kingdom work. Second reason why we should pray. God's word is not just informative, but performative. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God when you receive the word of God which you have heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. What do we mean by performance? If the Word of God is simply informative, if it's simply informative, really all it is is about gathering facts, gathering true doctrines, uh, understanding what true faith is, uh, true beliefs, getting everything theologically and historically right. So for example, you know, Jesus died for your sin, got that. Uh, the Holy Spirit involves you when you place your faith in Him, got that. Um, elders need to have certain qualifications to be in leadership, got that, etc., etc., etc. If that's informative, necessary, you have to know what you believe and you have to learn the, the historical and theological truths. But that's not where it ends, church. The Word of God is not just merely about accumulating a bunch of beliefs and and having a biblical encyclopedia of knowledge. If you have that, you simply miss out on what God's Word is also intended to do. It's not simply to inform us about His will, it's there to perform His will. He's got certain things in your life that He wants to do and to uh, be accomplished. The Word actually is a force that takes action on you and propels you into His will, moves you towards His will. Let me put it in one key sentence. God's Word causes things to happen. God's Word causes things to happen. It performs a work. Let's take the examples I just gave you. Okay, these are all the things that, these are just some of the things that I've written down that he does. Look at, they're all verbs. They're all verbs. They recruit, they produce, they strengthen, they convict, they convert, they discern, they provide, they heal, they sanctify, they defeat. I'm going to go through each one of these quickly. First one. How does the Word of God perform something? He says, you pray that the Lord of, um, that you pray that, uh, 
that we send out workers in the harvest. This is God's word to us about what he wants us to pray for. So when we pray God's words, he says, I take action and I start working on people's lives to find more workers for the kingdom. In Colossians 4.3, he says, I want you to pray for more opportunities to speak truth to your friends who don't know me. And so when we, when we go and do that, uh, he starts to take action on people's lives to open up evangelistic opportunities. Ones that wouldn't be there if you didn't pray those prayers. He strengthens. When you pray for someone, he takes, his, he takes action. He starts to perform a work. His spirit speaks to your inner spirit to get you out of a funk. To get you past a certain hurdle or through a temptation. How about this? It convicts. It convicts. Peter stands up. The Jews have just nailed Jesus to the cross. The same Jews that put him on the cross are standing there before him. They've experienced the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming down. They're all speaking in tongues and they can't believe what's going on. Peter stands up and gives him the gospel and says this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. What happened there? What happened there? They heard the word of God. The word of God started to take action on the conscience of that individual. And they were broken before the Lord. God's word was not informative. But just so you know, like... I want to teach you who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. I got that in your encyclopedia? Okay, good. Move on. No. It took action. There was a force acting in the minds of these people and they were broken. They realized that the person they put on the cross was their Savior and their Redeemer and they couldn't believe it. You talk about brokenheartedness? Oh, man. The Word of God converts. 1 Peter 1.23 for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through, here's the avenue, the living, enduring Word of God. They heard the Word of God, it started to convict, and they believed the message as the Holy Spirit worked on their lives. How about it? It discerns. It discerns. For the Word of God is alive and active. What? I thought it was just an encyclopedia knowledge. Just a bunch of facts, historical truths. It's alive and active. It's like a, it's got a, it's, it's like a little, you know, moving force. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's why when I preach the word here, I, here's the thing. I already know God has already used some of this message to move you in a different direction. I already know that. Maybe not every one of you, but you've all started to think differently about prayer and how God views you and His desire to be in relationship with you. That's not my words. Those aren't my words. I'm just reading the Bible. But God's Word is taking action in your life. It's discerning your thoughts. It's dividing your soul and spirit. And He's pulling you towards His way. It provides... It provides wisdom. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Context of this is trials. So there's certain things you need to learn in your trials. There's wisdom in the trials that you're to learn that God wants you to have. Super important, because all of us face trials. Not one of us is trial-free. It heals. James 5.15 
If any of you are sick, call on the elders, they'll anoint you with oil, so that the prayer can restore such a person. It sanctifies. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. When you read the word of God, it starts to discern your thoughts, convict you of certain things, encourage you, sanctify you, and you start to move towards His truth. It starts to change you from immaturity to maturity in particular areas. Finally, defeats the enemy. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the former of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You defeat the enemy and his lies with the power of the active and living word of God. This is so important, church, because prayer is tough because we're often inactive in it. All of us like to be movers and shakers in this world. All of us like to feel like we're contributing to something, don't we? You have this in, innate desire to be of value and to be a contributor. It's, it's born in you. God, that's one of the things God gives to you. And when you don't feel like you have value, you don't feel like you're contributing, you often start to struggle with... with, with like, um, uh, and with like defeating thoughts and, and, and the enemy starts to creep in. And prayer is so, so um, purposeless in terms of accomplishing anything because you're not doing anything <laughs> with your body. You're, you're, just, you're on your knees, you're, not, you know, you're talking to the Lord, you're not actually like working with something with like tools and whatnot. Doug Newton, who has been mentoring me in prayer and these types of things. He's a guy from the States. He's, a, he's, um, uh, he's a, uh, the United States, the Free Methodist Church has a prayer point person who teaches the, the nation on prayer in our denomination. He's the guy. And he's coming to Canada and helping us. And I've been developing a friendship with him. And he's, he says it this way. He's, 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 he's more eloquent in how he captures what I'm trying to say. He says, when we pray, we enter a realm of causation that is not all what we are used to. We aren't using our hands to build or assemble or push and pull things. We are using words to connect with the true God who intends to accomplish things still today with the power of a spoken word. His words spoken through our voices. You're not entering a realm of causation with what we're used to. But my hopes from today's message is, do you understand you're entering into something that is creating change? Big change with big purpose. You're helping to get creation the way God intended it and bring it to its fullest intent. To the point, and this is where my Christian brothers and sisters who theologically struggle with me, to the point that there'll be something lacking in creation if we don't do this. Like what if Adam and Eve didn't be fruitful and multiply? What if? What if Israel didn't walk around Jericho? What if we don't, what if Paul didn't get on his knees and pray for the Ephesian brothers and sisters? Yeah, God can step outside of those things and, and take care of it on his own. But isn't it interesting that he doesn't in many times? He leaves it up to people. He wants to partner with us. When we pray and we bring his word before him, we can cause great things to be accomplished. So 
what are the two lessons today? Nothing new, but I haven't said already. I'm repeating the exact same two principles. Number one, God wants to partner with us to fulfill his kingdom purposes. That's what he wants. It's the paradigm through the entire Bible. You cannot get away from that. Number two, God's word is not just informative, but performative. That's why we pray. When you pray that God's will will be accomplished, it causes him to get involved beyond what he may normally if you hadn't prayed those prayers. So much to be said. I think we'll open up for dialogue. And uh, like I said, we're, we're going to do five more weeks in this type of arena of prayer and evangelism and understanding God's ways. But we have to start here. If you don't think you matter to God and you don't have a purpose, you're not going to be evangelistic. If you don't think you're, anything you have to offer is going to be worth anything, you're not going to talk to other people or make time for other people. You're not. If you, think, if you have a low view of prayer, you're not going to pray. You'd rather just go work in the shop or, you know, fix something or play something or do something. I'm hoping today your theological view and understanding of salvation and who God is is changed radically by our message today.